0: May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. The gospel we just heard is a well-known one. We hear a version of that every year on the first Sunday in Lent. Last year we heard Matthew's version, next year we'll hear Mark's version. So it's kind of hard for us to get into it really. It's familiar to us, so we think we know what it's all about. But here's another version uh, of what we just heard that might or might not help us engage with the story in a new way. The story of Jesus' ministry begins with John by the Jordan River proclaiming repent and baptizing those who came in the river while pointing ahead to the one who was to come. Then Jesus comes to be baptized, and John reluctantly agrees. As Jesus comes up out of the water, the heavens are opened, and Jesus sees the Spirit of God descending. This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. With these words ringing in his ears, the Spirit takes Jesus out into the wilderness. A harsh place with nowhere to hide, a thin place, a place to spend time reflecting on what it means to be the beloved son of God most holy, the God of Abraham and Sarah, the God of all the ancestors, of all the people of Israel, the God of justice and mercy, of compassion and generosity to be the beloved son of this God. For forty days and forty nights he fasted and waited. Forty, the number of days of the flood, the number of years in the exodus, the number of days and nights Moses fasted fasted while he chiselled the ten words. The years that both David and Solomon each reigned. The days and nights Elijah fasted and waited for a refreshed call. Forty, a sacred number, denoting important events. And after forty days and forty nights, the tester comes, the Satan, to ask and test Who is this Jesus, the beloved Son? He begins, So, you are the Son of God, the Beloved. Yet you look so famished. How can that be? What kind of God lets that happen? If you truly are the beloved son, surely God would want you to have all that you need. To never be hungry. To have more than enough. More than you can desire. Whenever you desire it. Surely the beloved son would not be so poor. So hungry. So wanting. No God would want that for their beloved son. Turn all these stones into bread. You could have enough to eat and more, so much more. No beloved son should ever go hungry. Feed yourself. But Jesus isn't fooled. Remember when Moses stood with the people of God looking across the Jordan to the land they would spent 40 years preparing for. In his, in his final instructions he told them. Keep and live out the entire commandments that I am commanding you today. So that you will live and prosper and enter and own the land that God promised to your ancestors. Remember every road that God led you on for, the, for those 40 years in the wilderness. Pushing you to the limits testing you so that you would know what you were made of, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He put you through hard times. He made you go hungry. Then he fed you with manna, something neither you nor your parents knew anything about, so that you would learn that men and women don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes from God's mouth. You learn deep in your heart that you can always trust God. But the tester is not finished. Taking him to the highest point in the temple, he says, If you trust God so completely, jump off. Leap. David says in the Psalms about you, he has placed you in the care of angels and they will catch you so that you won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Think of how impressive that would be. Think of all the followers you would get. But again, Jesus is not impressed. Don't treat God's words of life with such simplistic content. That is not what David was talking about at all. And you not. Instead, remember what Moses said on the banks of the Jordan as he reminded them how to live in this new land, as he reminded them of who God is, this God of justice and mercy, and reminded them of God's compassion and generosity. He said, Don't you dare test the Lord your God. But still the tester was not satisfied. And he took Jesus to a high peak to show him all the world. All the kingdoms and empires. With all their supposed wealth and power and glory. Bow down and worship me. And all this is yours. All that your heart desires. And more. But Jesus has had enough. His refusal was curt. None of this is yours. None of it, and you know it. This is God's creation. These are God's people. We live in God's world. What you offer is a lie. It is not life. Not what this is about at all. So beat it, Satan. And he backed his rebuke with a third quotation from Moses' farewell speech. Worship the Lord your God and only Him. Serve Him with absolute single-mindedness. That is life. And the test was over. The devil left, and in his place, angels, angels came and took care of Jesus' needs. So as you listen to that version of the story, what did you hear? What stood out? What questions do you have? And what questions are asked of you? sense, Lent provides a time each year for us to join Jesus in the the wilderness. And to reflect on the same questions that Jesus reflected on. Who is God for us? What images or understandings of God do we need to let go of that are no longer helpful? Or what images of God am I being invited to hold more deeply? And how might these images help me answer the second question that Jesus wrestled with? Who am I? Or who are we as beloved sons and daughters of God? And like Jesus, like Eve and Adam who, in their desire to be like God, forgot that they were already created in the image of God, how are we tested, tempted, to forget who we are? Tested, tempted, to not live as beloved sons and daughters. To not trust God. And like even Adam, how are we tested, tempted, to place ourselves in the centre of our own lives rather than God. This is the study we're using this year for our Lenten study. It's written by Dorothy and Tom Innes who lived down in Christchurch and as I read uh, the introduction, in fact the fable at the beginning I thought this, this is their reflection on some of what I've just been talking about and how they lived that out in their place. So I'll read this fable. Once upon a time in a place not far away lived a family. They wanted to live a free and simple life where they had time to do what they wanted to do. They decided to plant a garden and eat what it produced and live frugally so they could pay back their debts and save. The big bad wolf called Burden, whose interest was great, thumped on their door and insisted that they couldn't. But they found that they could, and in due course it was done, and they were thankful Now they could save and buy land of their own. They bought land in the country, it was cheaper there, and it was a pleasant place to live. They planted a garden on that land too, with fruit trees, bees and chickens. They were frugal and saved until they had enough to build a house. While they tended the garden they designed a small house that would be comfortable and warm. They wanted to build it themselves. It would be cheaper that way. And they liked to build things. Now, the wolf called Regulation walked through their door and notified them that they couldn't. But they found that they could. And in a short space of time, with the help of their family and friends, they moved into their little house. And they were thankful. Now, the garden was mature and the fruit trees abundant. Every year they were grateful the garden produced so much. There was much more than enough for themselves, so they gave what they could not use to their neighbours. They lived frugally, eating from the garden and saved. Free from debt, they found they did not need lots of money, so they decided to work less. The big bad wolf called Persuasion crept under their door to sweet-talk them into believing that they needed more money. But they didn't. And now they had more time to enjoy the things they wanted to do. It wasn't long before the daughter got married. The garden was a delight to one and all and it provided an abundant wedding feast. The big bad wolf called Expectation didn't even get a look in the door. The family were thankful and grateful. One fine morning soon after the wedding, the family had berries for breakfast and decided they had enough they had enough work for now an and they could rest. They sat in the garden under their own free fruit trees and knew they were blessed. Free from debt and trusting the garden would provide for their needs. They weren't held captive by the world anymore. They were free. In a land where the world says you can't, God says you can. For to God is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So one last thought as we think about Dorothy and Tom and their life in their garden. I also have to say they chose the country because it was very close to the ski field and they love skiing. So (laughs) I thought, it's interesting you left that out. I wonder if this Lent we need to look at this world and to see again God in the centre of God's creation, rather than ourselves and our needs, which is what Dorothy and Tom have done. They've taken their needs and themselves out of the centre. And I wonder if we might pray for the courage and the wisdom to change our priorities as they did To live in such a way that this planet is not just a resource for us to use, but is God's gift to us. I wonder if we are willing to hear the invitation to live on this planet, in this world, in such a way that it and all who live on it might thrive and flourish. Into May we have the will to live into and out of the Beatitudes that we have spent the last few weeks reflecting on, persistently resisting, as Jesus did in the desert, the values of this world, and living persistently, as Jesus did, into the way held in God. So there's a whole basket of ideas. So I invite you to turn to your neighbour and talk about what you think, how you react, and how that might inform you this Lent as we begin our Lenten journey. What might we do this Lent in relation to all of that? Have a chat.